Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Footmarks podcast. I'm your host, Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber. As always, you can find him everywhere. So the premise of this podcast is Wahab Riyaz. I'm going to call it Wowed by Wahab because it sounds nice. And uh, here's the story, some, some backstory for you guys. So Wahab retired recently from international cricket. He took 237 wickets in 174 international innings. And I wrote a piece for him for Dawn, which is a Pakistani newspaper. And then, you know, Jared went on and wrote a better piece, which was way more visual and fun to read. So I'll just ask you straight up, Jared, what was the inspiration? What was that one thing that I wrote in the piece which, which made you go like, okay, no, I got to do this better? <laughs> uh, I was actually, I think I was going to copy your piece and just do it as a video hmm. on Dawn. And then I realized that you've written a really, really good piece, but I felt that you had written a really good piece for Pakistani fans. Hmm. Um, and also, every time I read something in your piece, it was really interesting. But then when I got into research, I'd find like five other things. Hmm. And so I had, I reckon I copied the entire um, thing of your, your article and then just kept moving it down further. Ah. But, but, what, it, what I used it as really was the spine of the research. Hmm. Like, you know, I, I didn't want to miss anything. Hmm. But I think I knew what people were going to write. And I thought that most people would write, oh, he was really great, but he maybe didn't quite have the numbers that he was supposed to have. Or I thought people were going to write, he was um, overrated and I don't even know why we're still talking about him. Hmm. And I, I thought... It, if you look at it, he's not a particularly relevant cricketer. Yeah. That when he retires, that we should... Like, he didn't get 100 test wickets. No, he did not. Right? How many one-day wickets? Do you remember? Just over 100. Yeah. Two, barely played in the international T20 as well. Yeah. Right? Never played in the IPL. Hmm. Um, not his fault, obviously. He definitely would have played in the IPL um, without the politics. And yet, we all have... Mahab uh, memories, right? Yeah. Like that was the thing that I kept going on about because mm. I don't write, write pieces for everyone. But what I really wanted to do, and I thought you wrote a really good encapsulation of his career. Mm. And what I really wanted to do was something slightly different and just be like, why is it that we're talking about this cricketer who didn't do that much at international <laughs> level? And yet when he retired, there's not a cricket fan in the, in the world that didn't have an image of him running in and bowling. Yeah. And I think that for me is that means that there's something about his his play. And I thought you did a very, as I said, a very good story of 
who he was and what his career was. But I really wanted to get to that essence of this guy mattered, even though if you just look at his numbers, he probably should not have mattered. Yeah, no, you very rightfully call him a moments cricketer who gave a lot of memories as opposed to a stats cricketer. So just on that note, based on the many memories of Wahab Riaz, which we'll get into, I want to ask you, because I followed his career from the start, right? I remember his debut game in ODI cricket when he took like two for something versus Zimbabwe in, in Sheikh Hupura. But what is your first memory of Wahab Riaz? When, when did you see him first? Did he play limited overs against Australia in 2010? 2010, when Australia toured the UAE? No, England. Oh. When the... the he... He's on that. No, I think it was Shoei Bakhtar. He made a comeback. Then there was Omar Gul. Did he play with did he play against England in limited overs around that time? Um I've got a feeling that I saw him in the nets um around that era hmm. in you know in a squad and I covered both of those series so and and it may not even be that series it might have been it might have been another one because I know I missed the test series hmm. and he did uh, when he played for England because he took his he, he took a five wicket haul against England at the Oval Yeah on debut yeah, and I know I wasn't around for that. Um, so uh, I, I want to say, I'm just trying to have a look at his one-day record now, but I want to say that like right early on in limited overs or even T20 cricket, I saw him in, in person. Hmm. And I, you know, I, remember, I, I remember being struck by, he, he doesn't have a particularly Pakistani physicality about his bowling, hmm. right? He actually probably bowls more like an Australian um, kind of uh, a scene bowler, you know, a little bit more physical mm. and, and strong and um, rather than lithe and, um, you know, athletic. Mm. Not that he's not athletic, but he's athletic in a more of a different kind of way. And I remember seeing him in the nets around that time. Right. And someone had told me about him and, you know, whichever series I was covering at the time. And I remember seeing him and going, this guy <laughs> doesn't even look like a Pakistani bowler. Like there was just something a little bit, off about hmm. you know the way the way that he was um and I, and I suppose again that goes back to I do think that that you know watching him bowl there was a very physical way that he went about it hmm. um that I think left an imprint and I don't remember him taking a bunch of wickets in you know an early game that I saw him play in hmm. but I do remember him bowling in the nets in front of me and thinking that's that's a that's a thing hmm. that's a thing worth remembering and then the next time was probably around the um you know the the jacket story yeah. you know when he when he you know and and at that stage he was you know you've always got players on your mind but I don't think he was really front and center hmm. um, up until that story. Yeah, no, the jacket story was when we knew of him, I guess, early on. Or well, at, at least in the international media, because, you know, we'd been following him in Pakistan, but maybe he didn't have that yeah. international reputation. And then he went on to do some stuff in, in World Cups. And we'll get to that. But you speak of Wahab having this physical presence. You speak of him as a visceral bowler, you know, someone who will give you that moment and moments that we all remember and someone who we will never get out of our minds. Just if, we, if you've witnessed Wahab, even at his best or worst, you, you'll remember him. He's that sort of a guy, wears his heart on his sleeve. Who would you compare him to when you think of other fast bowlers, you know, who you've seen ever since you followed the game? Yeah, he's interesting because I don't know if there's another natural comp for someone who has been around for, what, 14, 15 years, mm. and yet 
we don't we only really saw him at major events mm-hmm. and you know i usually that would be more to do with injury whereas it wasn't always i'm um, not to say he didn't get injured a lot because he obviously had some injury problems yeah but it felt like pakistan just would have periods where they didn't quite rate him i'm not sure there is another direct comp for the kind of cricketer mm. that he is you know he's a uh, he's he sort of bustled through the crease like um almost like a right arm um so you see a lot of right arm bowlers do but left arm bowlers don't usually have that kind of strength through the crease that mm. that he does. He wasn't particularly tall. He wasn't always particularly skillful. He didn't always control the ball, mm-hmm. and yet he had he could be incredibly skillful when he needed to be. Um, and you know, at, at his best, uh, he he's like a hodgepodge of a lot of different bowlers. And so you could see why he's the sort of bowler that you would never give up on, mm. but also the kind of bowler you might never feel that comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that, and it's interesting because had those other Pakistani boys. Amir and Asif not gotten banned and caught for spot fixing. We might not have seen a lot of Wahabrias, right? Because Pakistan would have had them as resources. But it's interesting when we look at his test career, it does not make for great reading. There are 83 wickets in 27 outings. But again, he had his moments. Like you mentioned, his debut game at the Oval. Pakistan won that game when he, get a five, when he got a five-wicket haul on debut. And then the spell that I remember is in 2015, which I think defines his test career, even though, you know, There's not, like I said, much to write home about. But England were touring the UAE, and the first Test match had been drawn. In fact, if anything, England could have won that Test match because Adil Rashid spun a web in the second innings, and Pakistan were almost down and out. But bad light saved them. Also, something that Wahab was very animated about. He was like, "I can't see," and this and that. But in the second Test, you know, in the desert heat in Dubai, he was an absolute workhorse, and he delivered that spell that. eventually won pakistan the game he got a well set joe root out and then he went on to get butler and stokes out as well had moin earlier in the game who was opening in that test funny how we were literally doing a pod on moin the other day of how he's played in all these positions but you know he won pakistan that test he was the man of the match and i just feel like it was a career in whites that could have been so much more i feel it was a little bit unfulfilled because i think that someone who had wahab skill set could have been a very potent bowler in unfriendly bowling conditions because he, he did have the pace right what i think the problem is if i asked you what his stock bowling test cricket was what would your answer be maybe back of the length something that rushes the batters gets a glove to the keeper something like that because you don't associate but that's not a stock ball is it yeah. like if you're getting a glove to the keeper that do you know what i mean mm. like he had those balls you could give me his yorker yeah um certainly his bouncer mm. you know but what was his best probing stock ball that he could bowl over and over again he didn't really have a line and a length no tight lines are not something you associate with wahab riaz at all like he was quite wayward and and very very and erratic Mitchell stark <laughs> exactly we see mitchell stark do that but from a foot taller hmm. right and so if he was taller monay mokul was probably another good example of a ball that could be a little bit like that at times hmm. as well he, he didn't have he didn't have the ability to bowl six balls And I'm not saying he had to be completely accurate because he's a fast bowler. It's it's okay if he spread it around a little, but he didn't have the ability to bowl six balls in a particular spot that would mm. put pressure on the batters. Yeah. So if you look at his his test bowling, he was either bowling good or his bat bowling poor. It was very rarely he was just bowling, right? And it's those sorts of spells that can keep you in it, and that's how you that's how you clock up your wickets, mm. right? You know, you want your stock ball, and your stock ball doesn't have to take wickets all the time, but your stock ball has to be. good enough so there is a position and he didn't have and you think about him as a bowler 
it doesn't really have a line or a length that consistently put pressure on batters. Hmm. It was individual balls with him. And I think that is a, a big part of perhaps why he didn't do that. And and that could be coaching as well, yeah. right? Like it could have been that they didn't um they didn't go in. I remember one spell, I want to say at Lords when Pakistan beat England under Misbah, the push-up game, I think mm-hmm. it was. When Misbah very, very late decided that he was just gonna bowl his left arm seam as three feet outside off stump and and drifting away towards the slips. There's a little bit of reverse there, but mm. a lot of it was just the angle across. Mm. And I remember at the time, I might have even written about this at the time, thinking, if Wahab did that on the days when it wasn't quite working. Hmm. I remember a young Mitchell Johnson, I'm, I'm, I won't name the player, but a test player said to me once, oh, the only reason right-handers ever get out to Mitchell Johnson is because he bowls so wide all the time. Eventually you get bored and you chase one because he's so quick, you edge it, hmm. right? Wahab could have actually done that, right? Yeah. He, 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 he could have tried something a little bit different, um, but he doesn't, he didn't have, if, if you compare him to Trent Bolt or... Um, I'm trying to think maybe some of the other left armers, you know, Mohamed Asik, mm. their, their best ball is probably, you know, top of off stump, just coming back in, um, occasionally getting the ball to go straight across. His best ball, I couldn't tell you what line or length he would have been best at bowling in test cricket because I think if he knew that, he would have bowled it over and over again. And that you take that away from any bowler and it doesn't matter how special some of their other skills are. Mm. You know, I, I've often said this, that it, being in test cricket, having a, a really top quality stock ball, even if it doesn't take a lot of wickets, is far more important than having the best outswinger in the world or the best inswinger of the world or a flipper mm. or a zooter or anything else, right? You just need that ball that, 17 out of 18 balls in any situation you can bowl opposition isn't going to score that much you put a little bit of pressure on them and then you can you know push them around the crease and and look for other things and i just i'm not sure he had that particular skill but what he had was i think when because he did have a physical Hmm. run-up and it looked like he was kind of fighting it his whole career when he did get that rhythm exactly as he was he did have that little bit of extra pace Hmm. and that's when the other bits don't matter as much. But it's on the days when he was bowling 87 and 88 miles an hour where I think he becomes much more playable just because he doesn't have those other skill sets available to him. Right. And, of course, he came across as an enforcer in red ball cricket. He was, as you said, never a stock bowler, never kept it tight. And, you know, I mean, again, had his moments but wasn't consistent one bit. Even Wahab, the T20 player, you know, he's an interesting case study in T20 cricket because at international level, he couldn't quite cut it. And Pakistan was blessed with a lot of talented T20 bowlers ever since the inception of the format. And they've been a good team in T20 cricket. You could say that's their best format at times, even though right now maybe it's ODI cricket. Who knows? But to date, you know, he is the highest wicket taker in the PSL and has the second best average in the PSL. And like you mentioned in your piece, you know, crazy good in the BPL, like ridiculously crazy. And also consistent threat in the CPL and Vitality Blast as well. So do you think he might have been spoken of more as a T20 player had he gotten the opportunity to play the IPL? Because that's something that evaded him and every other Pakistani bowler of his generation. He only bowled 36 T20 internationals. Yeah. He's got a bowling average of 28. He's got quite a high economy in those. He's got uh, less than a wicket per innings in T20 internationals. Yeah. But, but average of 28. So, mm. it's, it's, you know, it's not bad by any stretch. 
I wonder if he just played more, if that record just flattens out a little bit hmm. and he gets a couple of four for 20 games. And, you know, because we know when he was, everything was working for him, you know, he was a, a handful in T20 cricket. And I can't see any reason why that would not be the case. Um, I think at the top level of T20 cricket, it would have been interesting to see him in the IPL. But even hmm. when we did see him in an international cricket, he was very good at bossing lower order players hmm. in franchise cricket. And they tend to be of a lower quality, right? You don't get many guys who can bat, you know, at seven, eight, nine in T20 cricket. Um, and and I do wonder if that was his limit, or if he just plays more international cricket, he he works it out. But you know, I talk about in the piece the great Steve Smith ball of, <laughs> you know, where and I was at that game. It was it? It was up north. It was um, in India and uh, Mahali, maybe because I remember Glenn Maxwell's reaction. He went absolutely bonkers. He he couldn't believe it, and neither could we. <laughs> so I remember me and I want to say me and Sid Mongo were covering that game. Mm. I think we we're doing an experiment on fielding because mm. we were both um, keeping fielding metrics, and so we were watching that particular game. And when that happened, like we must have watched the replay between us four thousand times each, mm. because it's so interesting. Steve Smith is batting outside off stump before Wahab bowls. He then, as Wahab hits the crease, he sta- he basically walks so far hmm. wide of off stump. And yet at no stage does Wahab Riaz think, well, now there is no way he can hit. All I have to do now is get the ball. Like he could have, even if he bowled a half volley outside of stump, hmm. Steve Smith would not have been able to hit that ball. Yeah. Right. And if he got anywhere in the stumps. And so I do think there was a limitation to his T20 bowling. Someone told me the other day that he's got the most wickets of any um, T20 bowler not to play in the IPL. Hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, I think they might, that might have been a comment on the YouTube piece or, or maybe someone sent that through to me. I can't remember. But it's a really interesting fact. But there is a part of me that because of the Steve Smith stuff um, and, and watching him bowl, I, I watched him bowl a lot in the blast um, over the years. And there were times where I just thought, well, this is a pointless endeavor Mm. because he's too fast for any number six in the UK to come out and hit, right? They're just Mm. not, you know, the best blast players are in the top five, right? And once he gets through, you know, once he comes on later on, he was was too quick. I would have loved to have seen him tested more. Mm. But as you said, he dominated the PSL, right? Yeah. Um, He was very good in most of the leagues that he played um, in. And so there is a part of me that thinks, no, nah, maybe if he just played more international cricket he, uh, he, or in the IPL, he would have been a better T20 player. And we're kind of fixating on the things that, you know, the, the one weakness in his T20 record is the, um, the internationals, yeah. right? That's the only real weakness there. And so generally, I would disregard that and say he was so good, so consistently. I think, what did I say was the 11th? He had the... He's one of 11 or 12 bowlers or 20 bowlers to ever take more than 5,000 wickets in T20 cricket or 4,000 wickets or whatever that number was. You know, we're not talking about someone who was good just a couple of times. We're talking about someone who took a lot of wickets. And that was his role, and he did it very well. Hmm. I think you meant four to 500, not 1,000. That would be a lot of wickets in T20 cricket. But um, I do think I fit him at four to 500. You're right. Yeah. But I did do a piece uh, the other day on a guy, on, on, on a bowler called Tom Cartwright. He took 1,500 first class wickets. Ah. So I do have the thousands in my mm, head at the moment. Fair enough. Okay. So let's, oh, and, and one more thing, sorry, I need to add uh, that I think that Wahab, the T20 bowler, got better with age. Of course, now he was done. But later yeah. on in Before his career... Before he was done, I think you're right. Yeah, later on in his career, he became a better bowler. When he made a return to Pakistan's T20 international team, 
He won them a game in England in which he literally, you know, bowled brilliantly at the death and kind of, you know, won Pakistan that game and helped them draw the series. So I think, you know, early days Wahab was a bit more erratic. Later on, he had honed his skills and, I mean, age just wasn't on his side and, and, and he was losing some clicks as well. But Wahab, the ODI bowler... I don't bowler. think he was a smart bowler when he started cricket. Hmm. And I don't think you would say he was a smart bowler when he finished. But what he was is someone who knew the two or three things that worked for him. Hmm. And when he got those things to work, there wasn't a lot you could do to stop him because he was that fast. He was that ferocious. And once he found a rhythm, he was very hard to get away. What he probably didn't have of those, some of those other four and 500 wicket takers yeah. in T20 cricket is he probably just didn't have the range of other skills to put around that. And, you know, he, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't a player that could beat you in many different ways. But when he was at his best, he could beat you with the one thing he needed to beat you with. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And now let's move to Wahab, the ODI bowler. This is the more fascinating one. And I think the yeah. when we truly felt that Wahab had arrived was that semi-final in Mohali in 2011, because that was a controversial pick. Now, Shweb Akhtar was supposed to be playing those games, but Afridi and Wakar dropped him. And there was a lot of controversy and Wahab came in in that sort of pressure situation. Sehwag was going crazy, got him out first, then bowled that worldie versus Yuvraj Singh. Ended with 5 for 46, of course, Pakistan lost, but that was a lasting image, you know. Wahab mm. came up trumps when, when the chips were down and he performed at the big stage. And you very interestingly pointed this out in your piece, and I, I had no idea that this was one of the things that really, you know, caused his decline, is that in October 2011, when... ODI cricket moved towards two new balls and two balls, you know, used throughout an innings. Up until that time, in 22 games, Wahab was amongst the top three or four bowlers in ODI cricket, right? And then he simply could not adapt to the two new balls and his overall figures don't particularly scream stellar when you look at them right now. So how did you even come to this finding? Is this something that you had in your mind because you did the whole Malinga comparison of low arm actions? And yeah, I just want to know like the thought process behind it. No, the Malinka thing came from the stats. Hmm. Um, I had a feeling that at one stage he'd been a very good death bowler. Hmm. No, because he, he could reverse it, right? Really, really well. Yeah. And then I thought, and then I think when I looked at his overall numbers, I, could, I saw a pattern that he got a lot worse after 2011. Hmm. So straight away in my mind, I was like, well, that's an interesting year to get bowed in. Yeah. All right. And I, there are a lot of bowlers whose figures are worse after that because obviously there was a lot of change. The, the one problem with ODI cricket is very hard to actually work out exactly what changes things because mm. there's so many law changes and regulation changes and everything that, you know, affect things. Mm. Um, <laughs> but that was a, that was one that I had seen that pattern before, but his pattern was really bad. Yeah. Up until 2011, certainly I didn't look at his overall figures. I can't remember, but, uh, or I didn't put them in the piece, but his overall figures were really good. It was the death where I think I had him as the third best bowler in the death hmm. from over 30 to 50, which is kind of when you expect him to be good. What was shocking to me is how bad he was after that 2011 hmm. period. And the whole two ball thing. I know there's a lot of Asian cricket fans who think it's a conspiracy against Asian teams. <laughs> um, the truth is that we were using two balls before, hmm. right? And that's never talked about enough. 34th over, no, right? That's when you changed hey? the ball? 34th over, was it? Exactly, hmm. right? And... And what was happening before is you had an older ball um, that was absolutely falling apart and, you know, you came to a point where um, it had to be replaced. And, you know, because of that, um, we had an older ball that you could work on that you could get to reverse a little bit. But it's not just about the reverse hmm. because 
you can get a ball to reverse in 20 overs in a T20 game sometimes. It's the ability to work on it over a long period of time that was really helpful. But the other thing that helped, I think, specifically players like Malinga and Wahab is because they were bowling with low arm actions, hmm. it, that you were then bowling with a soft ball into, and they were bowling into the footmarks over and over again. It, even when you, unless you absolutely middled one of their deliveries, right, it was very hard to get them away. Suddenly you're in a period now, in a, in a part now where you are, um, uh, so, suddenly you, you find yourself in, in a position where the ball is harder at the end, hmm. right? It's not tailing as often, right? And it's also, and this is a really crucial thing, I think for guys who bowl Yorkers, it's easier to see. Hmm. Right, the other balls were just falling apart, and by the end of the game, they weren't as easy to see. And when when you when you're you know if you've played cricket, you probably know this. If it gets dark, the best thing you could ever do is bowl full. Hmm. Right, the fuller you can bowl when it gets dark, the absolute better, because you are, it you know you're looking for the ball to hit the pitch and then play it. If it doesn't hit the pitch, it just gets a little bit tougher. You know, Joel Garner in the seventy five or 79 world cup you know a flint off with that 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 spell against callus mm. that's what bowlers generally start to do when you struggle to see the ball all of those things all those three different things were taken away from him and look everyone gets worse after that period but no one else goes from the third best bowler to the 40th best bowler yeah right or whatever it was 28th best bowler. i can't remember but he goes from the top of the list to the bottom of the list malinga has a big drop off as well but Ma- i think malinga had probably other skills and the fact that malinga put the under revolutions on the ball, mm-hmm. I think did actually make it a little bit different for him. So he survived a little bit more. But there's absolutely no doubt that uh, in Wahab's case, it took him from being one of the best bowlers in the world to one of the worst. Now, the interesting thing about this is no one ever told him this. Yeah. Right. And did he know this? Did he work on, did he keep bowling the same all those years, you know, and not being able to make it work? Is there something else he could have tried? And this is, you know, I've said this a lot before. It's it's all well and good for someone like me finding it when you're retired. There's a lot of people who work in Pakistani cricket. He is an above average talent. If they didn't get the most out of him, they only have themselves to blame at a certain point. Yeah, it's interesting. I know that Pakistan cricket was obsessed with his wrist position, right? That Wahab could only get it to tail away from the right-hander and that was his limitation and he needs to work on getting the ball to move back in or jag back in. I know that this was like a big point of contention at one point. And you're right. Maybe if someone had, you know, just worked with him on how to kind of hone his skills with, you know, two balls and and how to be better at the death or closer to what he used to be. Because you did the whole crazy eight thing in the article, right? Bowlers who have um, gone for over eight runs and over in eight over spells and Wahab had seven of them. And this is a guy who I in my piece mentioned that nearly became the only bowler in ODI history who went for over 100 runs twice, you know? That's why I looked it up when you wrote mm-hmm. that because suddenly I had this flashback of all these times I'd seen him go for massive figures. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, it's a metric I made up, right? Like it, <laughs> it doesn't exist and may never exist again. Yeah. But what I was trying to get at is that I felt that my modern, outside of the World Cup stuff, mm-hmm. my, my real memory of him was how many times you would watch him and he'd go for 70 runs. Hmm. right and he'd really get smashed around everywhere and sometimes not even finish his spells yeah which for a frontline bowler when you can't really bat um, we know he could hold a bat and you talked about that in your piece but he was never an all-rounder or, yeah. or anything like that you know he wasn't even mitchell stark level bat right hmm. he was he was that slightly that level below who could occasionally be handy for you in a, in a pressure situation with the bat but for him to not finish his his overs and i had this memory of it and so when i looked it up 
And so the only bowlers I'd found who had done it more were in his era, because I only looked at his era, mm-hmm. were Southey and Malinga. And both of them had done it from 50 more games or 100 more games. Yeah. Like he had by far the worst percentage of any any guy who bowled a lot had never had had beaten that made-up figure, the crazy eight figure um, <laughs> that, that I came up with before. So you he, he may not be as an expensive bowler as Jay Dernbach was mm-hmm. in his career, right? But I think you could make a pretty big argument that Wahab Riaz was the most expensive, consistent, Lee Peaks player for his nation um, that we've probably ever had in one day cricket, right? I don't think we've ever had another bowler who bowled, you know, took over 100 ODI international wickets at the kind of rate that he went at consistently Hmm. for his era. Yeah, and he had a couple of different spells as well in the team because he had, you know, he was competing with the likes of Junaid Khan at times, who was another left-arm bowling option for Pakistan. A lot of people think that Junaid should have played more than Wahab, and of course, that is probably... Probably need another different podcast for that. But let's talk about Wahab and World Cups because that was the inspiration for my piece. And then it's also something that you mentioned. When you came across your research or my piece or whatever, were you shocked to learn that Wahab is the second most successful Pakistan bowler in World Cup history? I mean, he's got 35 scalps in 20 innings at 26.45, which is less than over eight runs of his career average in ODI cricket, which is Quite remarkable. I mean, uh, it's a shell shocker, but they're not really. If you've Mm. seen Wahab in World Cups, kind of makes sense. One of the things I'm asked about most in cricket is the wobble ball. How do you pick it? What does it do? And does it exist at all? Well, one thing I can tell you is that wobble balls don't help when you're trying to groom your pubis area. For that, you want the seam-up precision of Manscaped. Their platinum package will ensure that your package will swing in the best way possible without the seam opening up. Their Lawn Mower 4.0 will take care of anything out of shape, and then afterwards you can polish your balls with their moisturizer. Don't be dismissed by wobble balls this year. Go to manscaped.com and use the code REDINCA, all one word, to get your discount and put your balls in the best area you can. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked off the vine, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've completely overhauled our process to shorten the time from harvest to home for our tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. Because we know how much you love fresh produce, we give you more time to enjoy your tasty fruits and veggies at home. So whether you're shopping in-store, picking up, or prefer delivery, we're committed to bringing you the freshest produce possible. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I think the thing that shocked me, it didn't shock me once you know, I read your piece and you had the 2011 World Cup, then you had the 2015, then the 2019. And suddenly I was thinking, it's a bit like an Olympic athlete, right? You know, Liam Plunkett's another guy who played in, did he play in two or three World Cups as well? I think he was in 2007. A, Plunkett was in yeah. 2007. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then 15 and then 19. Yeah. Right? I think that's right. Mm. And yet Plunkett didn't play that much cricket for England. Mm. Right? And so I think Wahab's another one of, my shock was more that he played enough to be the, have the second most wickets. Not that he could have mm. taken them because, uh, you know, I remember the, the, the India spell and 
I remember him taking, you know, regular wickets during the 2019 World Cup and, mm. uh, yeah, obviously, you know, the, the famous spell in the 2015 World Cup. Mm. So it wasn't shocking to me that he took wickets. It was shocking to me that he didn't actually play that much one-day cricket, but actually played a lot of World Cup cricket. Yeah. Right? Which I, th- I felt was a real... And that, to me, again, shows that Pakistan kind of knew he was more talented than their other players, but at the same stage, they didn't really trust him enough to have him in the side at all times, which is quite a fascinating one. Mm. But if you think about it, Shoab's the only one I was confused that wasn't higher, hmm. right? So Imran Khan played a lot of World Cups and played a lot, but wasn't always a frontline bowler, especially towards the back end of his career. Yeah. Wakar Yunus didn't play as much in World Cups mm-hmm. as, uh, as, as he should have. Injured like, in 92, know, he... played 96, featured in one game in 99, and then 2003 exactly. was just terrible, right, for Pakistan, so... Yeah. Did he play in 2003? He was the captain in 2003. Of course. So, you know, you've got, he's what, eight years past his prime? Yeah. By that stage? I mean, after right? his injury, I, he was never the same sort of threat, right? You look at no, the car but, he, but by that stage, yeah. yeah, he'd gone right off off the edge of the cliff. So, so you, you know, once you take those two out, you're just like, well, there aren't that many other options. The spinners hmm. usually don't stay around for more than, you know, a, a series or two or a World Cup um, cycle or two. You know, Mushtaq Ahmed probably should have had three World Cups. Um, you know, Sakhalin Mushtaq probably should have had three or four World Cups. Yeah. But the point is that these guys all played a lot of one-day cricket. Hmm. And Wahab didn't. And again, I think from reading your thing, that when, when I first had this piece in mind, obviously the, the Steve Smith ball was one of the first things that came hmm. to my mind. The Shane Watson spell was another thing that came to my mind. You know, I had, the test stuff didn't come to my mind as much. I mm. couldn't think of many other T20 moments, mm-hmm. right? But I did have a lot of World Cup moments with bat and ball and, you know, throwing himself around the field and all these sorts of things. And you thought, World Cup Wahab is a thing. Yeah. Right? Maybe that's and what we you, should call this. <laughs> <laughs> if we, I nailed it there. Yeah. But <laughs> it, that really was a thing, right? Where... He had a life in World Cups. And when you look at his record in World Cups, as you said, fantastic amount of wickets in World hmm. Cups. You suddenly think, well, what the fuck was he doing the rest of the time? <laughs> right? And, and, and it's a really, really interesting thing of looking back on it because the 400 or 500 T20 wickets that he's taken, you can't be a guy who only gets up for certain events and takes that many wickets in one format of the game. Hmm. Right? And yet, he is the guy that only got up for certain events, realistically. Yeah. And we did see the best out of him out of the World Cup. And, you know, that was something I got from your piece. And I didn't want to go as deep as your article, but mm. what I really wanted to do is use a couple of key moments, you know, mm. um, throughout those. And I, I think, and I'm sure we're going to get there, but hopefully I'm not jumping the gun on you. But for me, the most Wahab moment ever is the Shane Watson spell. Mm in Adelaide, right? And the reason it was the most Wahab, and it's the reason why I finished the video on it, Hmm. or the article on it, is because it was him at his absolute best. And yet Pakistan don't win, and he only gets one wicket. And the amount of times that he would bowl like a four-over spell, right? And, you know, I checked my notes before I made this this thing, and all the great spell by Wahab, right? And then you look up at his overall figures in that game, and it's like, took number 69 of 10. (laughs) <laughs> right, great spell by Wahab and he took two wickets in mm. the second innings of that test match and there was something about him that just never quite clicked and at World Cups we would often see the best of him but 
I don't know how many of those best moments actually resulted in Pakistan winning games. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I don't know what, maybe that's just dumb luck. Right. But there's something to be said for the bowler um, who does that. And I don't know. I just found the whole thing so fascinating. Yeah, it is a bit bizarre now that you mention it because in that India game, of course, Pakistan should have chased that 260-odd target, but they didn't. They absolutely shat the bed over there. And, and then, as we said in a previous podcast, lit it on fire because that was not a game Pakistan should have lost. They were going so well initially and then just completely collapsed like Pakistan so often does. But, you know, Wahab at that point might have thought, I don't know if I'll get another World Cup. But then the next one, he was the MVP. He wasn't just Pakistan's best bowler. He was Pakistan's best player. He made it to the team of the World Cup because he had, you know, 16 wickets at 23 apiece and 83 runs at like 21 with the bat. And Mm. he also became the first Pakistani versus Zimbabwe in a game that Pakistan nearly lost to take four wickets and score a 50 in the same World Cup game. So that was another record. And then, of course, the Watson spell. And I love how you describe the Watson spell as, you know, Pakistan only have 213. Wahab is just giving it everything he has, you know, and this is like the last innings he'll ever bowl in. Mm. And uh, yeah, he gets Michael Clark off a short delivery, which of course with the troubled back was kind of, you could say, expected. David Warner got holed out uh, to third man, I believe, which is also something we've seen frequently from David Warner. But Shane Watson, you mentioned, was someone who hadn't struggled versus the short ball up until that period at all across both formats that he had played or all three formats, whatever. And in that innings, like, Wahab had been sledged earlier, you know, by the Aussies. And then he comes and bowls those rip snorters to Watson, which literally could have taken his head off, right? And he did a really good job ducking and and shying away from those. And he's in his face, incessantly clapping. Everyone to date talks about that spell. Even though Pakistan did not win, Wahab didn't even get Watson out. You know, he could have. You know, Rahat Ali dropped the catch, but... He had three decent chances, didn't mm. he? Obviously. But but you're right. And I think if you watch that spell, when he retired, it would be hard to not remember him as a better bowler than he was. Mm. Right? Because that spell was I remember I it was I remember I was really sick. Mm. So I've been traveling around that whole World Cup and I got really, really sick. And I think I might have been staying at my parents' place on the way before I was going back out on the road. And I didn't even want to watch that game, especially when Pakistan didn't make many runs. And then I remember yeah. him started bowling and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to like, <laughs> you know, you, uh, staple my eyes open to try and watch as much as this as I can. Staple my eyes open? Yeah, I suppose I don't know so. if you can. Uh, let, we could do that. We could yeah, do sure. that, yeah. Let's, that's a thing now. Yeah. Very um, graphic, and, but it's a yeah, it's, it's more painful than it needed to be. But <laughs> um, yeah, and I just remember thinking, this is just an incredible moment. And I have, as I said, just so many mini moments of him doing stuff like that, watching on TV, being at the ground and feeling it, and then it not mattering Mm. and it not being the difference. And if you were to say to me that Wahab Riaz was a fantastic bowler, I don't know if I disagree with you. Mm. But if you look at his overall record, I don't think you could argue that he's anywhere near lived up to the ability that he had. And perhaps it was something as simple as we talked about before is that he didn't have a great stock ball like most Mm -hmm. other bowlers do, right? Perhaps it was that once in one-day cricket, his method didn't work anymore. He didn't have the ability to just change to another method. Yeah. You know, 
perhaps it was treatment at times. Pakistan weren't quite sure about him and, you know, he was in and out and, you know, maybe he just was a rhythm bowler and you had to pick him when he was firing and not pick him when he wasn't firing. Or, you know, we talked about the T20 stuff of perhaps he just had a level. Yeah. And at that slightly lower level, he was absolutely unplayable. And once he got to that next level, when he was in full flow, he could do it. But when he wasn't in full flow, he didn't have the skills available to pull himself through. But it would be hard to argue he was a fantastic performer for Pakistan consistently or over a long period of time. And yet... (laughs) We're here talking about him and have been for mm. 37 minutes and 32 seconds at this point. <laughs> um, and and so you can't deny the impact he had on global cricket, but I think you have to be honest and say overall, he probably did not live up to the World Cup Wahab. Yeah, it's interesting because you'll always get that highlights package of the Wahab spell to Watson, but it's a spell that didn't bring about victory. It's a spell that didn't even result in Watson's wicket. But it is one of those golden... I mean, they lost that game easily. Let's, yeah. let's be... It, were they four down when they chased it? I mean, at one oversight? point, they were like 60-odd for three and, it, you know, had Pakistanis believing. I was in Canada up all night watching that game and I had to not sleep at all and turn into work, which was something. But uh, it's interesting how it'll always be one of those golden World Cup moments. Like, for forever, mm. you'll always have that highlights package. You'll always have the uh, tweet going out whenever it's on this day sort of thing or Wahab's birthday or that sort of thing. That's the yeah. spell people will remember. And that, I think, kind of signifies him so well because it didn't result in anything. Yet, we remember it with, you know, in all its glory because it was just rock and roll and lovely mm. to watch and... You know, those sort of bounces you don't get to see every day. And even when Watson... You don't see them in one-day games, yeah. right? You don't see a one-day player get worked over the way that Watson did. Hmm. And as you said, not a particularly bad player of, of short-pitch bowling. I don't hmm. think he was a brilliant player of it, but he certainly was, there wasn't a weakness that I could find in his game. Hmm. And yet, he was absolutely... He looked like he'd never seen short-pitch bowling before <laughs> Yeah, in, in that spell. And... It wasn't a tough wicket to bat on Hmm. or, you know, it wasn't, it was an Adelaide Oval pitch. So it's an Australian pitch. There's a bit of pace and carry, Hmm. you know, but it wasn't the whacker. I mean, he he had Mark Taylor and Shane Vaughan on their toes as well in the com box. I remember that because they were all praise. And I remember Vaughan, he just loved it. He loved the aggression, Hmm. right? He was like, this is, this is box office. And it was At, at his best. Yeah, you, you, I think you wrote a really good line that I think I was going to put in my piece and I've now forgotten. Is it, it the but, Sharknado but I, line? It was Maybe it was around that line. I mm. had a couple of yours saved and then mm. accidentally deleted them and couldn't find them again and was too lazy to go back. But, <laughs> but, but, but essentially, he was. At, this is why I think this podcast exists. This mm. is why I wrote the article. This is why you wrote the article. We wouldn't usually do this for a player who didn't get 100 mm. test wickets, who didn't play a lot of T20 internationals. Um, even if he played a few extra World Cups, I don't think we would normally. Put it this way. Did he have much a much bigger impact on... Pakistani cricket than JP Dumini did on South African cricket? <laughs> Probably right? not, like, right? And then that's not slamming either, mm-hmm. you know, either of them or, or JP Dumini. But JP Dumini, again, plays for what, decade, decade mm-hmm. and a half uh, for the national team. Very reliable cricketer, um, you know? Yeah. Uh, 46 test matches, 199 ODIs, 81 uh, T20 internationals. I can promise you right now that when JP Dumini retired, we were not going to 
do mm. a, a video on him. We were not going to do a podcast on him. You're not going to write a 3,000 and a half. <laughs> no, and I don't mean you as, well, you you cover Pakistan mm. more and whatever. But I mean, South Africa, no one was going to write a 3,500 word. And look at all the words that were written about Wahab when he retired from international yeah, cricket. that's great. Right? Part of this is he's a fast bowler. Mm. We love fast bowlers. Part of this is he was a left-hander. Part mm. of this was World Cup Wahab, right? We get all that, but it was more than that. There was a theatre to him when he was making it work mm. that was unmissable. He was electric when mm. he was running through that crease. And maybe you saw him do it seven times in your life, <laughs> right? But chances are you would remember that a lot more than you would another player who had a, a career over a similar amount of, of time, but maybe performed three times as well. Mm. Not, not three times as well, but three, you know, uh, made a lot more runs, made, took a lot more wickets and all that sort of stuff. It's an undeniable fact that when Wahab Riaz was on one, hmm. right, that you wanted to be at the ground watching it or on the TV watching it, right? And those kinds of players are very rare. And it's why now we are sitting here talking about a guy who didn't take 200 international wickets, right? It is because, quite simply, he was absolutely fascinating to watch. Sometimes at his worst, but usually at his best. Hey, Spotifyers. Click or tap the banner to listen to Rap Caviar, the freshest 50 hip-hop songs on the rawest playlist ever. Brought to you by our friends at Stars and the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. Yeah, because even when he was at his worst, he, we have those moments that we remember of Wahab. And I love how you said, you know... He might have only performed those seven times, but we will remember them. And I guess just on a closing note, we've talked about his all-round ability, even though he wasn't an all-rounder, right? We talk about Pakistan's paces, current crop of paces being really good fielders. But Wahab was the pioneer, right? He would be throwing yeah. himself around. He would be taking those diving catches and stopping those boundaries. He set the bar really high. And with the bat, he was, you know, no mug with the bat. He was a bit better than your average tailender in, in the sense that he would you know, win you some games batting at the end and, you know, bail Pakistan out at times. The, the Rashid Khan six comes to mind. Afghanistan had Pakistan on the ropes in Headingley in the 2019 World Cup. This is old Wahab. He has a broken finger. Rashid Khan is arguably the best bowler in that or spinner in that World Cup and bang, hits him for a six. The game, the complete, you know, uh, momentum of the game has mm. shifted. And uh, the complexion has changed. And all of a sudden, now Pakistan win. So, same World Cup, he also played in Ock versus Australia. And all of a sudden, you were like, oh, can Pakistan win this? They didn't. Sarfaraz got out and a whole other lot of uh, other stuff happened. But he did have that X factor coming in with the bat. And he was someone mm. who just left it all out there, right? 110%. Didn't, you know, have any more gas left in the tank. Gave it everything for the team. On a closing note, keeping all of those things in mind. Where would you put Wahab, you know, in terms of talent and potential, which was unfulfilled, I suppose? Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that it's unfair. Uh, he definitely didn't live up to the hmm. the raw skills he had. If you're a left-arm bowler who can move the ball laterally in the air, even, even not consistently, at that pace, you really should be a consistent test match hmm. threat. Um, sorry, I, test match, international threat. And he wasn't, right? We I think we've proven that. If, if you want to have a look at the video um, and go through it step by step, you'll see what I mean. But it just wasn't that level of a threat. Yeah. And so it's if you're left arm and you're gifted with that much pace, you're guaranteed an international career, mm -hmm. right? 
and he should have made more out of it. The only thing I would say is that there is a part of me that does think that he was treated like this prodigal talent in Pakistan cricket all the way through. Hmm. And you talk about the wrist position. I think that's a really interesting thing that they obviously were trying to upskill him a little bit. Hmm. But th- I, I know the same thing happened to Mitchell Johnson. Yeah. Australia spent a generation trying to get R- Mitchell Johnson to fix his wrist position. And realistically, Mitchell Johnson's wrist position had nothing to do with him being successful or not hmm. when he was at his best. I think that had they followed a similar path to what Australia had done with Mitchell Johnson and just be like, okay, he's not going to be a line of length bowler, but what we want him to do is find a zone, whether that be at the top of off stump, outside off stump, on top of off stump, back of a length, as you said before, whatever that may be. And he's going to hit that as hard as possible over and over again. And they just said to him, that's your job, right? And then when we need bouncer Wahab, we will call you. Mm. And when we need Yorker Wahab, we will call you. But this is all we need you to do. Uh, Essentially what Liam Plunkett did in the one-day side for England when he came back, right? True. I wonder if he'd been treated slightly smarter Hmm. if we'd be having the conversation about missed potential. Um, It was a hard time to be a Pakistani player. He comes into the side. We talked about the jacket thing at the start. But it was a weird time to be a Pakistani player. The other problem with Pakistan is at any one stage, is there not a teenage fast bowler that everyone says is better than him? There's always a teenage fast bowler in Pakistan that's better than him. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so how much of that stunts the fact that that he can't grow and he can't develop in the right way? Mm. He has to take some of the blame because you cannot be that naturally gifted and end up with the test record that he has. Yeah. It's impossible, right? Like he he should have he should have done more of that. And we know that because when we saw him at his best, he was unplayable, hmm. right? But I do think that the environment that you are in and the situation you're in and the treatment that you get all plays a part. But yeah, I think Wahab Riaz, he'll be a really interesting media personality. He will be. In the next five years, right? Because he, he reminds me of like a lot of those NBA players I follow that you're just like, oh yeah, that guy could play. He, hmm. you know, as they'd say in, in basketball, he's a baller, right? Hmm. He's a real hooper. Wahab Riaz was a real hooper, but there are certain times where you're just like, yeah, but if, if you, did this instead of the thing that you think is right all the time, there'll be something else there. So look, yes, I do think he did not make the most out of his hmm. potential. Um, I, I didn't want to slag him off in the piece. It was funny that you, you weren't sure we should do this podcast because you thought I was maybe overly negative towards him. But I actually, I wanted to celebrate what he was great at, hmm. but I also wanted people to know that there was something missing there yeah. and that he didn't perform at the level of our own imagination of him Hmm. sometimes. Right. Um, And so, yeah, he definitely left something on the field from a talent perspective, but I wouldn't say that from an effort perspective. Hmm. You talked about his batting and his fielding before and throwing himself around. And how many times would you watch him? And maybe this says something about his fitness, but he looked like he would bowl himself until exhaustion. Hmm. Right. He really, really did try very, very hard. Maybe, we're being unfair on him and he did get the most out of himself, but he's so, because he was so brilliant when he was mm. on song, it just feels like he did leave something out on the field. Yeah, it's interesting. Remember when we, we were doing the Stuart Broad podcast, you mentioned that Broad had a lot of things going on for him, right? 
but he didn't always get it all to click at the same time. When he did, he would get eight wicket hauls. But even mm. when he wouldn't, he would always get these wickets inconsistently and yeah. remain part of the conversation. I feel like Wahab is similar and dissimilar in a way. Similar in the sense that when he got it all right, we remember yeah. those moments, right? We'll never forget those moments. And that's why we're recording this piece or podcast. But when he got it wrong, he didn't have that broad thing. He got it absolutely wrong. And that's, I guess, what yeah. makes this entire career so beautiful and worthy of a podcast. But uh, yeah, I mean, anyway, on, on, on a closing note, go well, Wahab, if you're watching this. You know, we're all fans. We'll all remember those moments. And you oh, I think, as I said, I think he'll have a fascinating hmm. career to go forward because he's bowled the best players in the world, right? Yeah. He has those World Cup moments. He, I don't think he will disappear. He's a good looking guy, like, <laughs> you know, and he's got a personality, all these different things. Um, he set himself up for a really, really interesting career. But I would love to sit around the, you know, the <laughs> um, late night dinner table mm. with him one night, you know, and it's 11 o'clock and people have started to filter out and gone home. I'd love to just say, what what are you disappointed with, hmm. right? Because you did you did absolute magic, but looking back, what did you not get? Because he does feel like I don't want to give you another name for the title of this episode, but there is a what if Wahab, hmm. right? Of if he worked that middle bit out that you're talking about, that Stuart Broad thing of just being good enough when you're not on song to still be a threat, and that's what I was talking about before, having that good stock ball, yeah. just keeping yourself in the conversation. It, put it this way: Wahab Riaz either was the conversation or was out of the room, yeah. and that's the reason why he didn't have a brilliant record in the end. But it doesn't mean that he didn't leave us with a lot of brilliant memories. Yeah, I mean, we'll always remember Wahab over someone like Rahat Ali, and Rahat Ali was probably a more consistent performer of Pakistan Test cricket. Rahat Ali is a, is a goat. And I don't know why you would slander him on this I, I wasn't slandering. I was saying that he's probably a more consistent performer in test cricket, given that he you would die up one You didn't say he end. was a goat, and so you slandered <laughs> him. And, uh, you know, look, yeah. I mean, why, no one's, you know, outside of you and me and about seven other people, no one's going to remember Rahad Ali, hmm. right? Wahab is going to be remembered, yeah. right? The, you know, the, the way that we tell stories, Wahab is the sort of person we're going to tell stories about, you know. And Rahad Ali and JP Doomini are just not. Hmm. Doesn't mean they weren't better... C contributors at times for their countries it hmm. doesn't mean that um you know it doesn't mean anything other than the fact that wahab is the person that you remember you know that the the world cup wahab the what if wahab is it was something so spectacular hmm. that it's tattooed on your brain yeah and that is definitely going to be the name of this podcast now what if wahab has a very marvel feel to it so that's what i'm going to go with but anyway thank you jared for the time and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in that's it for this episode of Footmarks. We'll be back next week with another one. Till then, that's all for now. I'm Biram Kazi. With me was Jared. That's all. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports 
Social Podcast Network.